0: When we think about like leaving the nine to five to do the 24 seven, so many of us that are achievers are obsessed with things like efficiency and productivity. And I had this realization of like, we are working to be more efficient so that with the time we save, we can work more where do we ever get off of this crazy wagon Uh. wheel? And there's this story in the book that I love. And it talks about how there was this monk who goes to visit New York city. And the tour guide is like, Hey, we can save 10 minutes if we go into the bowels of the city and go through the subway. And so they come out of the ground from the subway and the monk goes and sits down on a park bench. And the guy is like, Hey, what are you doing? And the monk's like, I'm about to enjoy the 10 minutes we just saved. And I think this is such a valuable lesson for entrepreneurs because we can quit the whole hustle, but we never leave the game behind because that's usually innate within us. And sometimes I think that that 24-7 thing comes when we're trying to prove ourselves right, we're trying to earn our worth,
1: Welcome, welcome, friend. Listen, if you're expecting the usual Jenna and Amy interview where we banter about marketing and podcasting and list building, well, you're in for a treat and a rare interview. My guest, who is no stranger to the podcast, Jenna Kutcher, is here today and we're diving into the deep end to talk about a few things that often get swept under the rug a little too easily. Things like, taking a real raw inventory of your life so you can stop just going through the motions. We're talking about the golden handcuffs, what they are and how to avoid being sucked into their wicked trap and how to not only quit your job, but quit the hustle game as an entrepreneur and why asking for help can change your entire life. And I want you to pay close attention to how Jenna explains boundaries and what they do for you. The way she explained it in this interview totally made me think of them differently. And for this former yes girl, that was an important message. So boundaries, pay close attention to that in the interview. And also my personal favorite, Jenna shares about a woman who found perseverance through another woman's story and how your story can impact others. I loved that part of this interview. So Jenna's getting ready to release her first book ever, How Are You Really? That's the name of the book. How Are You Really? And let me tell you, it's one of the best books to be released this year. Hands down, I've been very much behind the scenes with her. I'm not working on it. She just shares so much of the experience. And because we both wrote a book at the same time, we swap stories almost on the daily. So it's really fun to see this come to life. The book is amazing. So she's also going to share a little bit about why she wrote the book, who it's for, and all that good stuff. But I think you're going to love the different take on this interview. So get comfy and let's do it. My brand voice guide is my business's North Star when it comes to keeping all my business content and marketing content clear, consistent, and inviting. That's why I created the brand voice guide outline you wish you had sooner, which is a free resource to help your business experience the same as mine. So all you have to do is plug in your business details into the given outline that I've created that has all the essential components of a brand voice guide. So go to amyporterfield.com forward slash voice guide to grab your copy of the brand voice guide outline you wish you had sooner. And I can promise you, you're going to elevate your brand instantly. That's amyporterfield.com forward slash voice guide. Well, hey
0: there, Jenna. Good to see you again. Okay. Thank you so much for having me back on the show. It is beginning to feel like a second home for the best reasons possible.
1: Absolutely. I love when you come on the show. These episodes are always a huge hit, but I warned my audience in the intro. I said, this is not going to be like our typical Amy Jenna episode. This is going deeper. It's going a different direction. And I think it's going to be the m- best one we've ever done. Yeah. So I have a question for you. Very cheesy, but I have to say it. How are you, really? Oh my gosh. You know
0: what, Amy? When I named my book that, I should have anticipated that every time somebody sees me now, they ask. And I'm like, everyone, I have to be honest. I have to be vulnerable. Yes. I am good. I texted you this morning because we are just in a big sleep transition at our house with our little ones. And It's wild because I genuinely feel more energized in my life than I ever have. However, I am getting the least amount of sleep I ever have as a mom. So I was up literally 14 times last night. There was a thunderstorm and I learned a very valuable lesson that I want to pass along. So that me being awake at four in the morning makes sense. Okay. Coco heard thunder and like freaked out and like came running into our room and was like laying on the floor and whatever. And, I learned the power of reframing. And then I thought about how I could reframe things in my life. So I brought her back to her room. We were laying on her floor together, snuggled under a blanket. And I was like, isn't it so cool that the sky is talking to us? What do you think it is saying? And we literally had a conversation with the sky. Every time it was thunder, Coco would say, Oh, Hey there, sky. What are you doing? And I thought about how oftentimes we could reframe things in our own life of the things that we're afraid of, like what it actually could be. And so that was my life lesson I learned at four in the morning.
1: And it's true. Reframing is such a powerful tool. I probably do it 10 times a day. Oh, so a million. Yes. I love that. And I love that great reminder. It was funny when Jenna and I were talking before we came on, I said, do you wear like an aura ring to track your sleep? And Jenna's like, That would be so depressing to get those results right now. So no,
0: I would feel more exhausted going through my day if it was telling me
1: like, you got three hours and 23 minutes. Uh, You wouldn't even (laughs) get three hours and 23 minutes. So Mm -hmm. yes, that's you're in a very special season of life, two babies and kicking off a huge book launch. It's kind of impressive. So here's the first question I want to ask you. In the last couple of years, I've seen a lot of people, myself included, kind of falling into the day-to-day of going through the motions. And in your book, you lay out, and I thought this was brilliant, a life inventory, a feelings file, you call it, that can really put things in perspective for someone. So can you share how to take a life or an inventory of your life and what to do with the information that comes out of it?
0: Yeah. Okay. So I love this question and I think it's, perfect for you and I to talk about. Because a lot of times when we look at our calendars, there are so many tasks on it. And I don't know if it ever happens to you, but I'll look at my calendar and be like, who booked this? And then I'm like, oh, I did. It was me (laughs) that filled it up this way. But I think a lot of times it's easy in hindsight, like a year from now to look back on this time and be like, oh, I wasn't doing the right things. And we beat ourselves up, but we so seldom look ahead and say, okay, what's on here that maybe shouldn't be? Or maybe I can't avoid this thing, but maybe I can lessen the impact of it. And the reason why I bring this up is because we are at a super interesting place as a world, like as a collective world, as we are kind of moving forward and figuring out what lessons do I wanna take from these previous years into this new world that we're entering and how do I want to come out of it a changed person? And for me, like the life inventory is really just a check-in. Like, have you ever had somebody tell you like, Amy loosen your jaw and you're like I didn't realize I was clenching it or they're like take a deep breath and you're like I didn't realize that while I was breathing it wasn't like an actual good breath and I feel like the same thing goes with the life inventory where it's like oh I need to look at what I'm doing and one am I passionate about it Two, is it aligned with my values? But three, does it bring me joy? And if you can't answer yes to each of those questions, it's time for you to kind of do a little analysis about like, where are you falling off or where are you following a map that isn't leading you to a destination you want to arrive at? And how can you kind of figure out ways to add more joy, to be more inspired and to do more work that matters
1: in your life? One of the things that I think you have done incredibly well is you have those moments of joy outside of work and you have yes. created that and cultivated it. How have you been able to do that? It, has that always been the case for you since you started this business? Amy, there is a part in my book about
0: you and and this thing that we did together. I, I love it. This is actually a big shifting point for me where I remember we went on a girl's trip and I remember we were, you know, talking about like, here's all these things I'm going to do by the time we see each other next. And I remember thinking to myself, I was super pregnant with Coco. I remember like walking around in my sports bras because I'm like, shirts don't even fit right now. And I remember, like, sitting there in the rocking chair with my hands on my belly and thinking, you know, I don't know what I'll have done the next time you see me. And that thought scared me because as someone who has been an achiever, who is a three on the Enneagram, who loves to, like, do things and do big things, for the first time in my life, I was, like, coming up blank and not in a bad way, but in a way that scared me. And I have had to learn how to rest, like literally train myself in how to rest and be present outside of work so that when I'm in work, it is so laser focused that I feel like I finished a day and I'm like, I know exactly what I got done today because I think so many entrepreneurs specifically are busy all of the time. But if you ask them like, what did you actually get done today? They'd have a really hard time. Labeling and saying this thing led to this result. It's like we're doing so much, but we're not doing the right things. And so when I started getting laser focused on my business, it really opened up that white space, that blank room for my life that I have filled with a lot of play and adventure and enjoyment and hobbies. And I mean, if you would have asked me even a few years ago, what
1: do you do outside of work? I don't know if I would have had anything to say. Oh, I love. Okay. So I love this question. So some people are listening and they're like, I do nothing outside of work. So name two or three things that you love to do outside of work.
0: Yeah. So hobbies became a funny topic for Drew and I, because we were driving home from our lake house one time and we were talking about one of our mutual friends. And we were like, I wonder what she does outside of work in motherhood. And I was like, what do I do outside of work (laughs) and motherhood? And it was kind of this wake-up call where it was like, where did we forget to like do things outside of the roles we play, whether it's career or family or relational? And it was kind of this wake-up call for Drew and I where we were like, we don't have hobbies either. And for me, so COVID was a very interesting experience because I was really challenged as we had a toddler who was getting busier and more alert and alive. It was like, what do I want for her life? And then like, am I doing those things? So we often talk about like, we don't want kids in front of screens. Okay. Well, guess what we do a lot of our day, spend a lot of time in front of screens. And so we started biking, which was incredible. We inherited these bikes when we bought our place and they were just hanging in the garage. And it was like, let's take them on a spin. Um, we started hiking, which to me used to be so painful. Like why would anyone go up and down a hill? It makes no sense to me. Um, and then we also started doing puzzles. So it was like random things oh, like fun. that, where yeah. it was like not for the end goal or the output, but to do things in community with a family that we're in. And it was so fun watching Coco be able to be a part and experience those things
1: too. What about you? What are some hobbies that you do? Okay, I don't have a lot. I didn't want you to ask me that, Jenna. (laughs) In my mind, I was like, "Oh my god, I do not have hobbies." Yeah. And you just said something, and I want to have hobbies. I want to make this a priority. And you just said something that I thought was really valuable. And you said it's not like there's no end goal here. Like you don't have to strive to hit a certain number. Or in my business, every day I'm striving, every single day. So do a puzzle, and obviously the end game is to finish it. But But then you break it all up and put it back in the box, right? Exactly. Like, those are the kind of things that I need to do. You know, at the time of this recording, not when it goes live, but the time of the recording, I'm going on the sabbatical, and I'm going to find a hobby while I'm away. I'm going to find a hobby. That's my commitment.
0: I would challenge you to take it even a step further and to do something with your hands, whether it is gardening or knitting or something like that. There is something so beautiful about like a tactile experience that I think we miss out on a lot with our like 2D digital world. And there's nothing that will train you to like create just for the sake of creating, than creating something with Play-Doh and then smushing it back into the canister so that it doesn't dry out. Like you have to learn how to not be focused on the end result, but the actual art of playing in and of itself.
1: That is powerful right there in in and of itself. I love that. Okay. So I'm going to find a hobby, work with my hands. I'll, I'll keep you updated in terms of what it is. Deal. Okay. All right. So the next question I wanted to ask you was about this concept that you talk about in your book called golden handcuffs. And I think so many people listening right now are going to identify with this. So what did you do to step? Well, first of all, what are golden handcuffs? What did you do to step out of them? And how can my listeners find the courage to do the same? We are online marketers, which means we have unique needs. And there are so many options out there for paid media. Sometimes it's hard to figure out where should you go to reach your ideal audience. But here's the thing. Have you thought about LinkedIn ads? all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash made easy now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash made easy.
0: Yeah. So the golden handcuffs are essentially this culture that we've created in the workplace where jobs are offering you all of these benefits that make you feel crazy to not be grateful and make you feel even crazier to desire to leave. But if we look at the great resignation, it's like one in four people right now are exploring different career opportunities or leaving their jobs without having a backup plan because they're just fed up or they're not wanting to have those golden handcuffs anymore. And there's a story in my book that starts off with one of my dearest friends. And I have to tell you the full circle moment that happened with it. And every time I talk to her, she's one of my best friends. We've been friends for decades. Every time I talk to her, she is hating her job. And she's been in this job for 10 years. And she'll always, you know, complain about it, rightfully so. And then she'll follow up the complaint with, but you know, I fly first class and I have unlimited vacation and there's a ping pong table in the break room. And finally, one time I was like, do you even take vacation? And she's like, no. And I was like, and when you fly first class, what are you doing? And she's like working. And I was like, and do you ever play ping pong? And she's like, (laughs) no. And I said, they are, they continually keep you there and stuck because they keep talking about these amazing benefits, but they don't benefit you or your life. Like they are not adding any value to your life. And let me tell you, after I handed in the final manuscript, I took out that chapter and I didn't say her name because I never wanted her to feel shame in staying. I think that says a lot about her character that she stayed. And I sent her that chapter and guess what? She quit her job after reading it. Stop it. because she had never recognized that like she was just staying and staying. And there's this line in the book where I talk about how it's like, she stayed when she missed daycare pickup. She stayed when her kids were sick. She stayed when she had panic attacks. She stayed. And it makes me emotional because I'm like, how many people are stuck and staying because of these stupid benefits that don't even benefit their own life? And it was crazy because when I sent it to her, It took her a little while to respond because I think it was like a sucker punch of this reality wake up call of like, you're right. I've been talking about hating this for so long and I haven't done anything about it. And she recently just last night posted a photo of her with her new company that she's working for on a work trip talking about how much she loved her coworkers. Aww. And it's just crazy because it's like these golden handcuffs are are happening in our lives, whether it's a corporate world or, or relational or whatever. Um, but we keep staying because we're grateful humans, which is a beautiful attribute that I hope we never lose. But gratitude can also keep us stuck in the cycle of the mundane. It can keep us stuck in these places where we're like, but I should be grateful. So for me, it was this massive wake up call when my boss gave me a five-year plan without ever asking me, what do you want in the next five years? And I was like, hold up, you're assuming that I want more responsibilities and want to work more and want to do all of these things without even asking me, like, am I happy where I'm at? Or would I even want to do less? Or what does this look like in my five-year plan? And so for me, it was really this realization of like I'm climbing someone else's ladder and it doesn't feel good. And all of these titles and salary increases and benefits aren't benefiting or changing my life in any way. In fact, they're making me feel more stuck.
1: Yes, absolutely. I'm there with you 1 million percent. I think someone listening right now probably was like, holy cow, I have literally been holding on to benefits that don't even serve me. Why am I still there? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I really do feel like someone just really felt that in their gut. And I hope so. Okay, so one thing I hear from my audience all the time is that they take the leap into entrepreneurship. And it's like they traded that nine to five for a 24 seven business. And it's a hard realization when your goal was to gain more freedom, and you make this leap. And now you mention. You know, at one point you had quit the job, but you hadn't quit the game. That's what you had said in the book. You quit the job and you hadn't quit the game. And that one hit me hard because I was like, oh, I get that one. So how did that play out in in you? And how did you make the shift to finally experience the freedom in life that you had dreamt of creating?
0: Yeah, it was really interesting. I was interviewing my mom the other day and I just love asking her questions and she had never told me this before, but she told me that when I was pregnant with Coco, her and my dad were slightly concerned at how motherhood would shake out because I loved work so much, right? Like they saw these tendencies in me to like pour myself into work and they didn't doubt that I'd be a good mom, but they questioned like how is motherhood going to influence my life and how am I going to feel about this deviation from the work that I had known? And what's super interesting to me about that is that I didn't ever have a why stronger than my work. I didn't have reasons to unplug or disconnect like work was my output. And I found my worth in that output, right? Like so many of us measure if today was successful through what we create, we were just talking about it with hobbies. It's like, I'm going to take a hobby if it benefits me and makes me, you know, and it's like crazy. And what's really fascinating to me Is that when we think about like leaving the nine to five to do the 24 seven, so many of us that are achievers are obsessed with things like efficiency and productivity. And I had this realization of like, we're working to be more efficient so that with the time we save, we can work more. where do we ever get off of this crazy wagon wheel? And there's this story in the book that I love. And it talks about how there was this monk who goes to visit New York city. And the tour guide is like, Hey, we can save 10 minutes if we go into the bowels of the city and go through the subway. And so they come out of the ground from the subway and the monk goes and sits down on a park bench. And the guy is like, Hey, what are you doing? And the monk's like, I'm about to enjoy the 10 minutes we just saved. And I think this is such a valuable lesson for entrepreneurs because we can quit the whole hustle, but we never leave the game behind because that's usually innate within us. And sometimes I think that that 24 seven thing comes when we're trying to prove ourselves right or trying to earn our worth. But what I realized in writing the book and one of my greatest like realizations in doing it was that I love marketing, I love business, I love entrepreneurship, but entrepreneurship has only been the vehicle to get me to the life that I want. And I look at that life as a life that is filled with freedom and the power of choice. And so while I am obsessed with entrepreneurship, obviously I talk about marketing and strategy a lot, that is literally just the processes that allow me to live the type of life I want. And I had never experienced the depth of that life because I never had a why stronger than my work. And so while it's really easy for us to quit the nine to five and work 24 seven, we've got to be intentional seekers and students to figure out what is the why behind this work? Because my work only got better when my why got stronger.
1: Amen. That is so true. My work only got better when my why got stronger. And obviously, we talk a lot about the why around here. Why are you doing what you're doing to get really clear on who you want to serve? And I think that's really important. Okay, so that actually leads me to the next question I had for you. Because when you're getting clear about your why, and really making sure that you're building the kind of life that you want along the way, especially as an entrepreneur, you're going to have challenges, you're going to have missteps. And one of the things that you talk about in your book, that I think is so important for my audience to hear is this fear of asking for help. Oh, yes. So (laughs) I love that you go there in the book. And and I know you well. So I'm like, Oh, yeah, that is definitely Jenna, I don't see you asking for a lot of help in in what you do. And you're very independent. But I loved what you shared. So can you share what led you to finally actually know that you wanted to ask for support? And what lessons you learned along the way? Because it's not necessarily your nature. No. Yeah. I was like the white knuckler
0: (laughs) with everything in my life. And, um, something that I think is really interesting for a lot of entrepreneurs is they build these businesses that are super successful, but the business relies on them to show up. And one of the reasons why I love you and the work that you do is that you liberate people to create businesses that can run while you rest or while life happens. And um, in the book, I outline and just share a little bit about our fertility journey and our journey in growing our family. And it was one that was riddled with loss. And when we had our second loss, I was a wedding photographer. And I literally got the news on a Friday and had to show up and shoot a wedding on a Saturday. And I remember this feeling of feeling trapped in my own business. Like I had built something wildly successful, more successful than i had ever dreamed. But I promised myself on that day when I had to show up and be happy and do my job while I was like in the darkest place of my life that I would never build something that didn't allow for a human moment. And it was so fascinating because The day that I got the news the second time around, I was so angry because I was like, I've already been through this. I've already tried to heal. I've already talked about this. Like, I've done all these things. But I got this ping for an email, and it was this girl named Caitlin who had reached out to me two times before offering help as a virtual assistant. And both times I basically said, Bug off. I'm good. I've got this. And on the day that I got the news for the second time, I got a third email from her. And all I responded with was three words, I need help. And there was no caveats, there was no explanation. It was literally the most human moment of like, I am in the fetal position and cannot respond to emails, nor does it feel even remotely important in my business. I need help. And what's been so fascinating to me on that journey is the more you ask for help, the easier it gets to ask for it and to receive it. And one of the things that I want to share because your audience is so entrepreneurial is this revelation that I've had and it's even a recent one. And we talk a lot about like visionaries. A lot of us entrepreneurs are visionaries. We cast this vision, we have this idea, we we set out with the work we do to live out this vision. But when we ask for and accept help, we are literally inviting missionaries to join us and to help us with the mission of living out the vision. And so when I look at my team, there's this line in the book where it's like, where one plus one equals a million. I could not do the work I do to show up for over a million people every week, every month without the missionaries that are my team members. And so asking for help is not weakness. It is adding strength to your vision. And it is, I mean, my business, my life, everything, everything has expanded in asking for and accepting help. And it is something that I think of that white knuckle approach where it's like you are gently releasing and opening your hands to what's
1: possible. Oh, so good. I love this idea of the missionaries. I never thought about it like that till you put it that way. But I think it's so very important. Um, okay, so I wanted to ask you about a very specific story in your book. You talk about this woman, Jen, yes. and how because Brooke Shields shared her story, it gave her a newfound strength. It was such a beautiful story. So without giving away too much, but there's tons of stories in this book that you guys haven't heard, obviously. But what can we learn from this when it comes to boldly sharing our stories?
0: Yes. Oh,
1: my gosh. This is one of my
0: favorite chapters. So I'll tell the story because I just think it is so powerful and I want your audience to hear it regardless. So I was at this event in New York City and I was with the president of a massive, massive company, like crazy, crazy successful woman. And she had been a part of my fertility journey, kind of watching from the sidelines. And I was at this event with her. There was tons of women. It was kind of like this influencer type event of just strong, powerful businesswomen getting together to celebrate. It was right before the pandemic hit. And she goes, oh, where's your daughter? And I'm like, oh, she's in Hawaii with Drew at the time. And um, I said, I can't wait to get back to them. And she goes, did I ever tell you that it took seven rounds of IVF to have my daughter Maggie? And I had met her daughter multiple times and I had no idea. And I said to her, I said, how many times did you want to give up? And she looked me dead in the eye and she goes, never. Never. And I said, how is that possible? IVF is one of the most brutal things a woman could go through. There's a cycle of like hope and fear and there's so much and there's medicine and there's money and there's so many facets to in vitro fertilization that people don't even understand. And I said, how could you possibly have gone through something this many times and not wanted to give up? And she said, years ago, I watched this interview on TV and Brooke Shields was on TV and she said it took her seven times. And I knew that if she could do it seven times, that I could too. And it hit me so powerfully deep that Brooke Shields probably forgot about this interview from years and years and years ago. And she had no idea that this beautiful 12-year-old girl in New York City named Maggie existed because she shared this one piece of her story. And the craziest part was is that Jen, this powerful president, had never let anyone in on her journey. And so even her vice president who had worked with her for decades came up to me after this event and said, I had no idea Jen had gone through that. I know her like the back of my hand because after our conversation, Jen stood in front of the room in New York, New York city and said, Jen, can I share about what we talked about? I said, Oh my gosh, please. This is so powerful. And I had asked her, I said, what would have happened if Brooke had never said that? And she goes, I guess I never thought about that, but I would have never thrown my ring in that many times. Doctors were telling me it was impossible. Like I would have never done that. And it was just this beautiful reminder that in that room that night when Jen then shared her story, I believe that somebody was inspired to keep showing up in their life, whatever that looks like. And so it's just this power of our story and how it can impact lives and literally be responsible her lives. Isn't that crazy?
1: It's crazy. And I love that story. And it, it actually helped me immensely, Jenna, because I think, you know, I'm not as open online as you are. Yeah. And but I've been, you know, over the years, much more vulnerable than I've ever been. And each time it feels a little awkward or a little much for me, I think, but there's some woman out there that if she heard this, it could literally change the trajectory of her life in one way or another. Yeah. And just the Possibility of that makes me realize this story isn't necessarily all about me. What that I'm going to tell it could actually be about someone else. So my friends, if you're not telling the real truth, if you're not telling the, the stories that actually mean something, I encourage you to push yourselves. It, it's, it's something that is not necessarily natural to me, but incredibly important. Yes. And so, yeah, I love that you shared that in the book. Okay. So here's the deal. We are going to, well, first of all, I want to talk really briefly about your book specifically. And then I want to do my final rapid fire questions for you. And they're not the questions I usually ask everyone else. I changed them up today. So before we get there, here's what I want to ask you. First of all, congratulations. I haven't actually said it. Congratulations on your beautiful book. It is such a valuable resource that so many of my listeners are going to love. So congrats. Thank you. I feel like we have literally been on this journey together.
0: We really have, guys. <laughs> like, We talk all the time. You're like the godmother of my
1: book. So congrats <laughs> to you. <laughs> I never thought godmother of a book. I love it. I feel very close to this book in your experience. So tell me this. Who did you write this book for?
0: Yeah. I mean, I wrote it for a lot of the friends in my life. And it was really fascinating through the writing process because conversations would just keep coming up with the people and the women that I have in my life. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like a bigger thing. Like, you know, there's so many things, whether it was dissatisfaction in your job or fertility or or is more always better? Or, you know, what do I wanna take with me outside of this world? And so it was literally based on conversations of all generations of women from my aunts who were asking me questions to my neighbors to my college friends to even learning lessons from my daughter. And so I really wrote this with just like the people that I love in my world, knowing that there are so many women out there who are looking to come home to themselves and not looking for another guru to tell them the five-step process. It's like we are just desiring to like listen to ourselves again and to trust what we're hearing.
1: Yes. Well, you've done a beautiful job. You should be so incredibly proud of the work you've done. And my friends, the book's not out yet. If you're listening to this the day it goes live, but if you listen to it a little bit after it will be, but Jenna, where do they go to get the book? Yeah. So you can go to
0: howareyoureallybook.com. That's howareyoureallybook.com, or you can just go to jennacutcher.com and we'll have it plastered everywhere. Um, but yeah, it has been quite a journey and it's been so fun being on it with someone who is also
1: in pursuit of something very similar. Yes, it has been fun. I feel like I'm part of your book launch and I love every minute of it. So go grab the book. I highly, highly recommend it. Okay, so real quick, we have a few minutes left and I wanna do a rapid fire. So my first question, I'm so curious what you're gonna say to this. What is something right now that you're like totally obsessed with? red light therapy i, it. I knew it. she was gonna say that you know okay. what's so
0: funny amy is that chloe from your team was in my dms and we were talking about all this nerdy stuff and she was like i swear by my red light and you guys got to get when my husband or my fiance was making fun of me i guess it'd be husband at the time my husband yeah. was making fun of me and now he sits in front of it every night and i was like
1: done ordered and so yeah, yeah so, so funny. This- morning you were doing your red light you got to wear these glasses and you said here i am in front of my red light and then drew and coco come in with their own glasses and they (laughs) want to be a part of the fun So now you made it a family thing absolutely they're like eating cereal and talking to me while i'm sitting in front of it i am just
0: very curious about all of these different modalities to like feel energized and i'm like going
1: off the deep end which is really fun Well, I have a red light, and I'm going to start using it more consistently because you've been talking about it so much. So I'm all about it. But my friends go read about the value of or the benefits of red light. It's pretty incredible. Okay, so what is one thing that you wish you knew when you were first starting out like something you wish you knew then that you know now when you were first starting your business? Yeah.
0: That boundaries won't keep things or people or opportunities out of your life. They will keep you in your life. And I think that is the most valuable thing that you can do is to set boundaries and to keep them and communicate them well, because it'll literally help you to live your life and not get on that 24 seven bandwagon that we were talking about.
1: The way you said it was perfect. Boundaries keep you in your life. Yes. And the more present and intentional we are, the happy we are. So that is beautiful. Okay, final question. What's one thing about you that we might not know?
0: That I, let me think. Oh, this is so good, Amy. I know there's some stuff about you that people just don't know. I think I'm super funny and I feel like (laughs) it never gets communicated. I have these very deep thoughts in the middle of the night when I'm awake with my children and they are so funny to me that I will sometimes start laughing, but I have a very goofy side. And I think a lot of times when I am online, it comes off either more professional or like a little bit more like deep, but I think I'm really funny.
1: Okay. I love that you think you're really funny. I think you're funny. And I do see that silly side of you. But um, I absolutely know my audience thinks I'm way more serious than I am. Yes. You know what, Amy? Real quick. I remember listening to one of your
0: earliest podcast episodes. And there was, it was literally years and years and years ago. And you were like, you had asked your audience for feedback and they were telling you that they wish it wasn't so polished. Cause like you <laughs> would edit out like your ums or your ads. And, like I remember you being like, I'm going to challenge myself to like, not a perfectionist. And I have to say, like,
1: we've come a long way, like together. We really have. Jenna, I made a video the other day for a paid group that I have. And in the video, I literally said the wrong date and time for something. And it was like, three fourths into the video. And I said, I am not re-recording this video, my friends. I'm just going (laughs) to tell you the right date. And I do not care. (laughs) I would have never done that three or four years ago. I love that. Yes. We've come a long way. Yes. Well, my friend, I love you dearly. This has been such a fun experience to see you step into like a, even a bigger game with this book. It's going to change lives. Everyone go get it. How are you really go take advantage of this opportunity? And Jenna, I love you so much. Thanks for being here. I love you. Thank you.
0: And I can't wait for people to read about it and see my mentions of Miss Amy Porterfield in the pages.
1: Which was so fun. While I'm flipping through, I was like, ah, What? That's so great. It was a fun read. So, thank you so very much. Well, there you have it, friend. I hope this interview left you asking some big questions about where you are, where you're going, and what inspiration and your intuition are telling you is the next best step. I know that you are made for great things. I also know that sometimes it's easy to forget that. So here's what I hope you hear loud and clear. Whatever tough things you may be facing, whatever negative voices unrelentlessly and unexpectedly pop up in your head, whatever opinions the naysayers have shared, I want you to find the strength to keep moving forward. Keep pushing towards the things that are on your heart, the things that you know deep down you're here to do. And if you need a little extra support and encouragement, go and get Jenna's book. I know it's going to help you. I've read the book. I think it's excellent. And I really do believe it's a different take. It's not a business book, but it will help you in your business and in your personal life. How are you really is the name of the book and a great question to ask. All right, my sweet friends. I cannot wait to see you again next week. Same time, same place. Bye for now.